a British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome to the British TV podcast. It's show number 55. Woohoo! I'm Ryan in Seattle. I'm Chrissy in Seattle. How's it going, Chrissy? It's good. How are you? I'm good. What have you been watching? Um, I watched uh, Benedict host his Have I Got News For You season opener the What was his hair color? That's his hair color. Would you call that ginger or is it blonde? It's kind of a auburny brownish sort of hairdo color. And I think that's it regularly that he went darker for Sherlock. He jet black dyed there for yeah. uh, Sherlock. He was good, though. I he liked was very him. good. No, didn't I think he went to Harrow or something like that, so one of the top boys' schools. So he's he's got some brains packed in his little Sherlocky noggin there. I like the fact that they kept making him make really bad Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. puns. The round of the Baskervilles. Absolutely. Ooh, ooh there's a very bad dog uh, thing there. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, was good. Really, really hoping they'd mention Christine O'Donnell to add that to my list of clips, because of course I had the original Christine O'Donnell clip on YouTube, and now there's a zillion more because Bill Maher keeps throwing more out, and then one making the rounds today, of course, was her demonstrating she didn't know the Bill of Rights. <laughs> so I saw that. It's just very but you had the pure gold one though, because the whole yeah. thing about Anne Frank. I mean, right. wow. Well, it is funny because actually the word the words Anne Frank were never uttered but bill paraphrased it that way and i've watched the story it's kind of like that whisper game where you whisper right. in a circle and by the time it was playing over in sri lanka it was that you know the musician eddie Izzard asked her if she had been a witch and i mean they're mixing things up like crazy it's really funny of all the quotes there's a chinese website that does a little kind of animated yeah the taiwanese thing. Oh, yeah. you've seen that yes, yeah I have. and they actually talked about that where they, she sent him up after yes. and frank and then got a halo oh yeah I've got a little uh, little uh, bundle of clips there I'm saving to remind me of this time in future years because it's funny. How many hits you up to? Combined, I think it's around 340,000 for the two Whoa. parts. Yeah, it's a lot. I know, I keep thinking, what do we want to like story in a story? Put a little clip of something else in the corner and go, <laughs> watch the podcast. It's called podcast. advertising. Yes. YouTube will be happy to put advertising in there. Uh, except I don't own it, of course, but... Oh. Uh, it is funny, though, that when the news stations first started reporting, they did just use the download from the YouTube that, rather than ask Bill for the master tape. It was just quicker, I guess, to download it from YouTube and stick it on the air. Yes. That's funny. All right. Speaking of videos, have you seen the Mitch Ben, I'm Proud of the BBC video? No. It's very cool. He mm-hmm. basically is doing kind of a shout out about what the BBC is good for and people are holding placards and he just basically rattles off the name of like every BBC show in the last 50 years. Doctor Who gets mentioned like three times, but it's kind of cool. Yeah, there have been some good ones over the year. There's, I have an Eddie one of him talking about growing up as a pop culture kid and watching Blue Peter. And then I remember years ago, John Cleese did one about what has the BBC ever done for us? And people from all the current shows were popping out. And I've got that somewhere, too. I don't think it's up on YouTube, but I have it. It's This is kind of a cool they song. Good, and, they've and always done good adverts. I'm not sure this is made by the BBC. I think this, he made it on his own. Well, I'm not sure. He's in front of the television center, but it's kind of a cool video. And it does sort of remind you of all these great shows that they did. Mm-hmm. So this week's show, we have news, what's on British TV this week, shows running in the United States, DVD releases, and a feature on Sherlock. Yeah, that's going to be a big one. 
It is going to be big. I think. And you were you didn't you had trepidation about it before it was on. We'll we'll talk about yeah. that. And I had trepidation after it was on too. And we'll discuss that a little bit there. Okay. So news: uh, the Red Riding trilogy is heading for broadcast in the USA. The Sundance Channel will show the acclaimed three-part miniseries about corruption in Yorkshire beginning Sundays, starting on November 28th. And Andrew Garfield made a memorable performance in the first episode, which also stars Sean Bean, David Morrissey, and Warren Clark, who we profiled in show 50. Yeah, and Pat, Patty Considine, we should do him sometime. He's, he's an awfully good actor. What else has he been in? He usually plays tortured souls, but he was in... Hot Fuzz playing one of the Andes, the detectives, and he was pretty funny in that. He's done more film, I think, than TV, but he's done TV as well. I'll, I'll come up with something. Okay. I like him a lot. Well, made for Channel 4 originally, the Red Riding trilogy has three separate directors and is set in three different years. And it was shown theatrically in some art houses here and was available on pay-per-view earlier this year. I had read somewhere that there were... Th- that there was a three-parter set in different years that was also shot using the film stock that would have been appropriate for the time to give it a look. And I was wondering, was that red writing I was reading it about? But no, because it was because the current one was supposedly using videotape and the older ones used film or something. So I'll have to, so I think I'm confusing it with something else that I well, just read about. Well, they were going to do it in period. They would have to shoot all the interiors on video and mm-hmm. all the exteriors on film. <laughs> that would have been the way TV would have been done in the 1970s. The BBC announced that its annual license fee will be staying the same level for the next six years at £145.50p. So accounting for inflation, that actually will mean that it's getting cut. But that settles the disagreement between them and the new conservative government over how much they will be charging. I've always thought I'd be happy to pay it for the quality of television, but I would be unhappy about the steps that go towards enforcing the paying of it because it's such an invasion of privacy that we're used to in the United States, you know, coming over and aiming a, I guess, TV signal sensing device at someone's house because they didn't pay their license fee and then putting them in jail for a day. I mean, that's just, I don't like that. So that's my gripe with the whole license fee system, not the amount of money or, or what it goes for. Cause it was actually were, a jailable offense. Yeah. They were starting to put people in jail for a day for it. Wow. There was a story about a mom with single mother who hadn't paid it, and she was going to have to find somebody to stay with the kids. It's just a day that they were locking them up, but still, hmm. it was meant to, you know, scare them straight. Yes, they used to do lots of all sorts of scary... I remember an ad where they would show mm-hmm. kind of a big fishing net and it coming up there and the people stuck in the fishing net and it says, don't get caught up, you know, pay your license yeah. fee. Now, we might have talked about this before, but what if you're just watching iPlayer and never watching television? Is that your lo- a loophole then? Well, I don't know the exact law. I know that if you had something that could receive television signals, then you had to pay. Mm-hmm. And if you only have a computer connection, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. What's on TV for the week of October 20th to October 26th? Wednesday, the school year grinds on in Waterloo Road on BBC One. Thursday, River Cottage Every Day with Hugh Fernley Winningstall continues on Channel 4. Just made a new convert to that this week Mm -hmm. at work. Actually, I introduced him to the Three Hungry Boys, who he's been referring to as Three Hungry Guys when he talks about it. We had a young man at work who seemed so similar in spirit to these three men that Hugh sponsored on a cash-free trip of Scotland that I thought, he's going to love this. And I just got an email that he and his girlfriend watched, I think, five of the ten episodes in one go, and we're going to finish it tonight. So 
Good stuff. Have I Got News For You is yeah. on Thursday on BBC One with guests Reginald D. Hunter and Janet Street Porter. I know, and they don't who's going to host it yet? I was looking, but we'll see. So no one who actually speaks English, British English, will be on that. <laughs> Make it a little fun. The Reginald D. Hunter, of course, is American, and Janet Street yep. Porter has a very peculiar accent. I like Reginald D. Hunter. He's from Georgia, and he went over to actually, was accepted to, into RADA in his late 20s and was going to be a... Uh, yeah, thespian, and then discovered just doing stand-up as a dare to win some money that he was quite good at it and made a career switch. The British are always happy to laugh at Americans. Mm-hmm. The Martin Clunes remake of Reggie Perrin continues on BBC One. Channel 4 is running a controversial TV movie, The Taking of Prince Harry, a fictional account of what would happen if the Taliban kidnapped Harry while he was serving in Afghanistan. And there have been some concerns that this might be in bad taste. Well, what are what other things have they done? They've tried and convicted Tony Blair, fictionally, on television. What else have they been doing? I think there was one about the president getting killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I think the biggest crime people who reviewed it just said, it's just kind of dull. Oh. <laughs> That's his worst crime. Law and Order UK continues on ITV1. A friend of mine called me up very excitedly this week because he'd seen it on BBC America. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm sorry, I've never watched it. I've never watched American Law and Order. I have no interest in these kind of police procedurals. And I told him to start watching Luther. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Phone Shop continues on E4. Celebrity Juice continues on ITV2. Nevermind, The Buzzcocks is back for a new season on BBC2. The music-based panel show and the first guest host is Mark Ronson. Oh, yeah. Russell Howard's Good News is back also on BBC Three. Friday, QI looks at happiness on BBC One with guest panelists Rich Hall, Andy Hamilton, and Phil Jupitus. Now, you said you didn't want spoilers. Have you even looked at the titles for the whole H series? I've been watching, keeping up on them. Oh, oh, the titles of them, they're kind of cheating the H thing again a bit. I'm wondering if there's an explanation for Hannimals and instead of animals and you know that's kind of odd but we'll see well um, animals was animals that started with the letter h could be okay oh no i've seen that episode that's, oh. that's what they did all righty yeah. yeah it was funny because it seemed like a lot of the uh i think the titles are just word made, titles were had h's in front of words <laughs> i think they're meant to just be bad puns yeah. but the, the answers themselves are legitimate all righty is followed by new tricks paulo grady live on itv1 has guest and show favorite simon pegg well, he's got his book coming out. I'm sure that's what they'll be talking about. He's been tweeting about it all week. <laughs> I, I put together a little a book order on Amazon.co.uk, and then I checked out what it was going to cost me, and I was like, ooh, ooh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. $130 for six books. Ooh. It's the shipping that gets you. It's over $20 in shipping. It's much less to ship um, a CD or, you know, so I'm thinking about it. 20 bucks isn't that much, though. It's not really. I wanted I wanted pegs. I wanted fr- uh, Stephen Fry's and Milton Jones has a book. And what else? I wanted Armistead Maupin has a book. It is coming out here. I like the British cover a lot better. And I have a lot of British episodes. For some reason, I've, I've got a lot of his books with UK editions. So I'm and it would only be like $5 more. You'd probably pay that much for postage of it on Amazon if you didn't get the free, buy right. so much, get a free postage yeah. thing. So that's not really that much for six books. And what else was there? Oh, the Bookie Wook 2 I wanted. Yep. 
And there's one other that I'm not thinking of right now, but there were, I think there were six, they're all books that I want. So we'll see. Um, I'll play around and see if I think I can get any Hmm. by waiting, but I want them now. Don't go for it. Yeah. I got Ben Elton's latest, but I'm saving it for my vacation next week because he had, he writes the best books to read on an airplane. They're always going to grab you. They're always going to be something you can read for a long time before you want to rest. You've lent me his World War One, which I haven't started yet, but I'm going uh, to read it. I promise. Everyone who's read it that I've loaned it to so far loved it. No, I'm just. I think it's my favorite that he's done, really. But I don't have time to read books because I'm watching too much television. I see. Graham Norton makes his domination of all media complete with his move to Jonathan Ross's old time slot on Friday night with a new series of The Graham Norton Show on BBC One. His first guests will be. Charlotte Church and Russell Howard. The Rob Brydon Show finishes up on BBC Two with a spoof compilation episode which takes place during Rob's 100th birthday. Hmm. All right. Saturday, Walk on the Wild Side continues on BBC One. I've had so many friends on Facebook linked to this viral video they have seen on YouTube, and basically it's a clip from Walk on the Wild Side of Talking Animals, and I always replied, this is from the BBC program mm-hmm. Walk on the Wild Side. Hugh Fernley Woodingstall, that was his first series before River Cottage was called Walk on the Wild Side. But it was about raiding nature's larder and going out and picking wild garlic and nettles and anything that you could just forage around for and then cook. And how how it was good for you with this vitamin and how to cook it this way and not to and which mushrooms to never ever, you know, be careful with mushrooms, that sort of thing. So no meerkats yelling, Dave! No. Dave! 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 No, Dave, no. Harry Hill's TV Burp continues on ITV1. Season 3 of Merlin continues on BBC1. Mackle McIntyre's Comedy Roadshow is on BBC1. And BBC2 has extended repeat editions of QI and Have I Got News For You. Do you wait for the Saturday ones or do you? Yes, I do. Yep. Sunday Time Team continues on Channel 4. BBC Three has a comedy pilot called DOA, starring Chris Marshall and Karen Taylor, about a mismatched paramedic duo. Downton Abbey continues on ITV1. And the ratings just keep going up. Of course, it's got the best time slot in the world. It's on right after the X Factor live show. Hmm. But quite a contrast to go from Simon Cowell to, you know, period costume yes. drama. But yeah, people are eating it up. It's, it's really good. And on BBC One, Single Father, with that David Tennant guy, continues... Yeah, I haven't watched that yet. I think I'm going to wait for all four parts and then just delve in. It's grim up north. Okay. Thorn continues its three-part thriller on Sky One. Monday, The Sarah Jane Adventures continues on CBBC with the Russell T. Davis authored Death of the Doctor, guest starring none other than Matt Smith and 70s companion Katie Manning as Joe Grant. Wow. And it repeats Wednesday afternoon on BBC One. How much longer do you think Matt Smith's going to play the role? I keep reading, oh, there's rumors he wants out, he wants to do this and that. And He'd be smart to do at least three years. Yeah. At a minimum. And I'm sure that's the BBC's, after the whole Christopher Eccleston debacle, because of the merchandising and branding and stuff, they, they really want to lock him in for at least three years. And after that, I think it'll just be up to him and, and who's producing it. You know, who knows how long uh, Moffat's going to stick with it. What do you think about the typecasting of these actors? I think I mean, think it used to apply to them more 
like with Tom Baker, he'll always, you would just always see the well, doctor he, when you look at him or. He's such a larger than life kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And he kind of was sort of playing himself, just saying more gobbledygook. But also he was, did that part for seven That's years. That's true. And you are going to typecast yourself if you're in the same role six months out of the year for seven years. These other guys, they're all over doing other things. You can mm-hmm. see Matt Smith on other programs. And uh, the other ones as well. So I think it's less of it. Now, of course, you know, even Peter Davison is the first to admit that when he dies, they're going to show a picture yep. of him wearing a cricket outfit saying, former Doctor Who Peter Davison died today because it is such an iconic part. But yeah, it is possible to move on, especially these days. I th- that's what was, yeah, I think it would be better these days, too. We're just more sophisticated of viewers, I guess. But yeah, they have the other doctors are picking out good projects to do on the side and that's what that's another thing i've always liked about british tv is they yes the seasons are short but then they can do lenny henry could do a season of a comedy show a season of his sketch show a couple live shows in the west end you know sort of thing or somebody like that i like that they get to really spread their wings and do stuff all year round well doctor who sucks up nine months out of the year Mm -hmm. which is really a long schedule well that is true but yes, there is a three-month gap, and they obviously are out there working hard, as all British actors do. Spooks continues on BBC One. Whitechapel continues on ITV One. Genius with Dave Gorman continues on BBC Two. Ask Rod Gilbert continues on BBC One. That sounds like Dave Gorman could ask Rod Gilbert. <laughs> Am I a genius? Mm-hmm. No, because a genius is about inventions. Yeah, and I've, I've heard this Dave Gorman forever. I haven't seen him do much other than occasionally on some talk shows. But I know his first real big claim to fame was when he just traveled around the world meeting other Dave Gormans. Oh, right. You and it was that. so funny because I signed up a Dave Gorman for a CPR class at work. And I said, have you been contacted by this British co- comedian with mutton chops? No. Well, you might be. Hmm. So I don't think he was, though. But... Let's see. Tuesday, The Sarah Jane Adventures is on CBC. Whites with Alan Davis continues on BBC Two. Heard that it was hemorrhaging viewers. That's sad. But then, of course, prominently on the Amazon UK, there's the DVD. So BBC Two, though, the standards are slightly mm-hmm. different. I mean, BBC One, you really do need to carry the network. I mean, if you're not winning your time slot, there are some problems. But BBC Two is more of a kind of a culture of arty shows and so it doesn't have to be totally kicking arse at nine o'clock well i do want to see it i'll get to it eventually i do tend to wait till i can watch a couple episodes at a go i'm gonna show it to my wife because i think because it's all set in a kitchen and it's about you know a kind of a high-powered kitchen it's i think would be interesting to her and i think well you probably would find interesting too yeah well did you ever see kitchen with eddie izzard a couple years ago no well, it was supposed to be all set in a high-powered kitchen, and his storyline was that. It was his restaurant. He had a heart attack, but he was so worried that he was being usurped by some other people, his sous chef, that he checked himself out of the hotel and went back, even though he was sick as a dog. And But actually, the bigger story over it was not really concerned with the the kitchen at all. So it was kind of weird because they used Eddie's picture in the title kitchen, but that was just the sort of subplot on the side with a kitchen worker who was on parole, but his parole officer was crooked. And that little, that was the main story. When was it shown? About three years ago. I never saw that. It was made in Scotland. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. And all the characters were Scottish except Eddie. He was supposed to be from, from down South. Harry Enfeld 
and Paul Whitehouse continue to mind laughs on Harry and Paul. Getting On is back on BBC4, the hospital-based comedy starring Joe Brand. And we had a review of the first series in show 45. Yeah. Lip Service continues on BBC3. Argumental continues on Dave. And the guests are going to be Richard Herring and Stephen Mangan. Oh. In the United States on BBC America, Wednesday it's a repeat of Luther starring Idris Elba. The first episode is also available on demand. The Graham Norton Show and Law and Order UK are also on Wednesday. And Friday, the new episode of Law and Order UK is on. Sunday, the second episode of Luther is on. Don't forget, our feature about it was in last week's episode. I'm looking forward to seeing the second episode because I really got into the Ruth Wilson character. I want to see what happens next with Alice. Now, he's in. Um, Idris Elba, he's in The Big C as well. Is that true on Showtime? My yes. mom, my mom started watching that, and yes, she was he is. talking about him and his nice, kind face. This new actor that she discovered, she mm. liked him. I said he doesn't always play nice, kind people, but yeah, he's got a good face, good actor face. Top Gear continues on Monday night. We did a feature on the series in Show Fifty One. Yes, on Adult Swim on Friday night, there is the UK version of The Office. IFC has an IT crowd marathon Monday afternoon. On PBS's Masterpiece Mystery, it is the debut of Sherlock. It's the show you'll be talking about for the rest of the year, and we'll tell you all about it in just a few minutes. DVD releases. Jonathan Creek, The Specials. These four feature-length episodes of the Alan Davis mystery comedy series include Black Canary, Satan's Chimney, The Grinning Man, and The Judas Tree. All were written by David Runwick, whom we profiled back in show 49. Boy, I have the original box set of series one through four, I believe. It's huge. Um, but I haven't bought them since then, but I've, I have them recorded, so I don't think I'll buy, buy Have bother. we talked about the story about how those got cut on PBS? Well, w- were they only cut because only the first year were an hour long? Because after that, the was it just, maybe the second year too, but only the... they got cut in by the BBC down to 45 minutes by, I think, the second theory is possibly the third. So I thought they got cut just so they'd all be the same length to fit into the time slot when They were made by the comedy department, not the drama department, and they'd Mm -hmm. never done an hour-long show before, so they thought it was just like two half-hour shows put together. Mm -hmm. So they made a 59-minute program. Well, they sold it, though as a 50-minute program. And because of that, they actually had to cut 10 minutes out of the episodes to show them on PBS. They couldn't get the uncut episodes because of this weird contractual thing. I didn't know that they'd been cut until I started watching my my nice new box set of DVDs and went, wow, substory, cool, more scenes with Nigel Planer and my favorite episode about the plastic surgery lady. Because, yeah, we showed the uncut versions here um, at our club, and then someone started watching the PBS one saying, um, there's scenes missing, and I ended up calling BBC America up and finding out what was going on, because they didn't know either. A Mind to Kill, Series 2. TV veteran Philip Maddock stars as Welsh DCI Noel Baines in this BBC series from 1997. Yeah, Philip Maddock, uh, he frequently guest-starred in Doctor Who. I think he's in at least four stories, so he's somebody who's been around forever. Shaun the Sheep Season 1, another triumph from Ardman Animation with little 10-minute shorts featuring a mischievous sheep and the dog on the farm that is supposed to be in charge of them. They're very cute. I love 10-minute little films between 
the shows. What's your favorite ever? You've got things like the Big Nights. I think mine's got to be Posh Nosh. Loved them. I wouldn't see them as fillers, though, because I the way I would get tapes is I didn't oh, realize yeah. I was waiting for another show. It would be just the next thing on the tape. So uh, it's hard to me to pull one out of the air right now. Uh, Sorry. All righty. Maybe we'll do a show about them sometime and show lots of clips. Sure. Wallander, Kenneth Branagh's British remake of the Swedish detective series in Three Mysteries from the Recent Season. And this is also available on Blu-ray. Our feature on Sherlock, which makes its American debut this Sunday on most PBS stations. Yes, we've been talking about it since summer. The BBC's big, bold, and highly popular modernization of Sherlock Holmes, starring the incomparably named Benedict Cumberbatch, is nearly here. Television critics across America were given a preview in August in Los Angeles, and several of them have gone on record as saying Sherlock is one of the best new shows on TV this season. I think we'd agree about that. Yes. I think when we do our top ten list this year, that's going to be right up there. Doctor Who showrunner Stephen Moffat and League of Gentlemen member Mark Gatiss have combined their forces for this new adaptation. The first story is called A Study in Pink by Stephen Moffat, and if you are familiar with the original Arthur Conan Doyle story, A Study in Scarlet, there will be several Easter eggs as well as red herrings when you watch Moffat's version. We talked about the career of Stephen Moffat back in show 26, and we're going to talk more about Mark Gatiss on next week's show. Playing Holmes is up-and-coming actor Benedict Cumberbatch. He is the son of actress Wanda Ventham and has appeared on British TV and on the stage for many years. One of his first TV roles was as one of Hugh Laurie's sons in 40-something back in 2003. Hmm. Remember they were all oversexed? In 2004, he played Stephen Hawking for the BBC in a TV movie called Hawking, which was set during his university days before the steam genius started using a wheelchair. Cumberbatch played a writer in Stuart, A Life Backwards, who tries to understand the life of a homeless man in 2007. Last year, he appeared in Small Island as the wayward husband of Ruth Wilson. He's also appeared in the movies Amazing Grace and Atonement. Martin Freeman is the new Dr. John Watson. He's best known for playing Tim in the original Ricky Gervais comedy The Office. He was also Arthur Dent in the feature film version of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You might have also seen him in Hot Fuzz and Love Actually. Here we have Holmes and Watson meeting for the first time in the first episode of Sherlock. Oh. A bit different from my day. <laughs> you have no idea. Mike, can I borrow your phone? There's no signal on mine. Well, what's wrong with the landline? I prefer to text. Sorry, it's in my coat. Uh, here. Use mine. Oh, thank you. It's an old friend of mine, John Watson. Afghanistan or Iraq? Sorry? Which was it, Afghanistan or Iraq? Afghanistan, sorry, how did you... Ah, Molly, coffee, thank you. 
What happened to the lipstick? It wasn't working for me. Really? I thought it was a big improvement. Mouth's too small now. Okay. How do you feel about the violin? Sorry, what? I play the violin when I'm thinking. Sometimes I don't talk for days on. And would that bother you? Potential flatmates should know the worst about each other. But you, you told him about me. Not a word. Then who said anything about flatmates? I did. I told Mike this morning that I must be a difficult man to find a flatmate for. Now here he is, just after lunch with an old friend, clearly just home from military service in Afghanistan. Wasn't that a difficult leap? How did you know about Afghanistan? Got my eye on a nice little place in central London. Together we ought to be able to afford it. We'll meet there tomorrow evening, seven o'clock. Sorry, got a dash. I think I left my riding crop in the mortuary. Is that it? Is that what? We only just met, and we're going to go look at a flat. Problem? We don't know a thing about each other. I don't know where we're meeting. I don't even know your name. I know you're an army doctor and you've been invalided home from Afghanistan. I know you've got a brother who's worried about you, but you won't go to him for help because you didn't approve of him, possibly because he's an alcoholic, more likely because he recently walked out on his wife. And I know that your therapist thinks you're limp psychosomatic, quite correctly, I'm afraid. It's enough to be going on with, don't you think? The name's Sherlock Holmes and the address is 221B Baker Street. Afternoon. He's always like that. There are three episodes in the first season, A Study in Pink, The Blind Banker, and The Great Game. As we often do on the British TV podcast, we have someone with us this week who's a real expert on our topic at hand, and it's my friend Judy. Hello, Judy. Hi, how you doing, Ryan? Good. So, you are a big Sherlock Holmes fan. Oh, yes, for a long time. Long time. Tell us all the Sherlock Holmes stuff you consumed. You don't have to name all the titles, just a <laughs> brief overview there. Well, obviously, I've read all of the stories and the novels. There's 52 stories and four novels as far as the canon, and that consists of the canon. I've also read a number of pastiches. I own one of the first pastiches, actually, amongst my stuff. That one was printed in 1895. So, been around for quite a long time, and people have been doing pastiches of Sherlock Holmes, obviously, for a long time. I've also read the plays, or the play, the original play with from William Gillette, which has been made into movies, and first one, I think, was a silent, or at least I just recently saw a silent John Barrymore of that, made in the 1920s. I've belonged to a number of societies. I have belonged to several in Los Angeles. I have belonged to the Vancouver Society, both Vancouver's actually, Vancouver, Canada, and Vancouver, Washington. I've, I've been there. Also uh, been a member of the London Society, an invitational member of a Persian Slipper Society, as well as the Seattle Society, the Sound of the Baskervilles, and the Portland Society, the noble and most singular order of the Blue Carbuncle. Okay, I think the defense concedes you're an expert witness. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I'd call myself an expert witness, but I definitely have been been reading it for many years and i read my first one actually in high school and uh, still do read them periodically and you've probably seen a lot of tv and movie versions of sherlock holmes as well oh yes there are so many well prior to seeing this what is your favorite the jeremy brett ones yeah i think the jeremy bretts are my favorite 
for being accurate and uh, having a very good characterization. Now, that's the first Jeremy Brett's. Toward the end, when he was ill, they got quite odd and strange. But the first probably 20 or 30 of them were very, very good. So now we have this new version. What do you think? It's based on Study in Scarlet. I would have imagined. And I have to say, as far as the plot... I'm not entirely excited about it. I do love the story, and I'll certainly watch them. I think it's very entertaining. The characters are a lot of fun to watch. And I actually like the characterizations. I think Holmes is good, and Watson is good, and I think that's kind of the way they would be perceived in today's society. I think overall, they did a nice job with the characters. I just don't care for the change in the story. Because the major change in this story, that I saw anyway was that what had been murders that had a, a purpose, they, they stemmed from these people that were chosen were evil. And this story, they just make them into random victims of a serial killer. And so I have a little bit of a problem with that. But overall, I like it quite well. Were there serial killers in the canon stories ever? If you went back to it, you always found some reason for them to be killing. It may have been for money or something, but there generally was a reason that they were doing killing. They were killing. So I guess the question is: Is Sherlock good, Sherlock Holmes? Oh yes, I think so. I think this guy's a, a wonderful Sherlock Holmes, Benedict Cumberbatch. I like him. I think he's probably one of the best Sherlock Holmes I've seen, and he's kind of the right age for the Sherlock Holmes from the study from the study in Scarlet. He's probably in his early 30s, I would imagine. And many a, many a time the Sherlock Holmes that show up on on all the media are older. Yes. They're, you know, 40s, 50s. But really a lot of the Sherlock Holmes stories took place when he wasn't that old. Um, Watson was just back from Afghanistan and he had just gotten out of medical school and gone to Afghanistan, so wouldn't have been that old, probably mid-20s when he went there. And Holmes was not older. I mean, he might have been a year or two older, but he wasn't significantly older than Watson. So you got to figure that most of these stories took place, or at least the early stories took place in his late 20s, early 30s. And so he's just the right age and looks right for the part. Tall, thin, has the right look. And I like his characterization. I think he did a nice job. They certainly introduce a lot of high-tech elements there. When I mean, we see these visual clues showing us what he's thinking and looking at as it's happening, it's a very interesting way of showing what his thought process sort of was. Well, it's interesting because most of what they put on the screen written, mm-hmm. at least the ones that I remember, were all very much out of the books. What about the fact that now he uses nicotine patches? He says, this is a three nicotine patch problem. Uh, well, you couldn't make him as smoke as heavily as he did in the stories. Because he was, a, he was a heavy smoker. And whenever he had anything to think about, he would go get his shag tobacco and one of his pipes. None of which, by the way, look like the one you always think of in the pictures. They were different types of pipe, clay pipes. But he always was a heavy, heavy smoker. To the point where there's one where what he Watson walks into their uh, rooms at Baker Street and can hardly breathe, has to go open a window in order to stay in the room even. What about the infamous cocaine use? 
obviously they don't talk about it here. A friend of mine made a very interesting suggestion, and she said that in lieu of why he took it, because he was sort of bipolar or to kind of have something on his mind, is today's equivalent is he should be playing video games obsessively. <laughs> that would be the 21st century equivalent of why he was He would cocaine. never probably have played video games because he wouldn't have felt it was useful, use of his brain. However, the I think the whole cocaine thing's been sort of blown out of proportion. And one thing people tend to forget is that cocaine was legal when those stories were written. It was not an illegal substance. And so the use of cocaine was like going out and having a drink. It was no more illegal than that. It's not a matter of illegal, though. It's the fact that he was taking mind-altering substances. He was bored. He only took it when he was bored. And, yeah, I suppose, you know, I just don't see it being him replacing it with video games just because he's not, the character is not one that would play games. But, yeah, I mean, he definitely was bored, and that's what he used when he was bored. Hmm. And when there wasn't something else more exciting going on. Mycroft was very much very heavy, very sedentary. And he went from his office to, to his job at, at uh, Whitehall and then to his club and home, the only place he ever went. And so occasionally he would use Sherlock when he needed someone to go out and actually be legs for him. And Sherlock would go to him that Sherlock said that Mycroft's brain was actually better than his. And if he had a problem he just couldn't figure out, he'd go to Mycroft for the answer. They kind of were yin and yang in the stories. Mycroft was set in his ways and heavy. And Sherlock was like the straining hound, you know, right after his prey, running after his prey. And so they were kind of different, but I never thought that Mycroft felt the need to watch over Sherlock. He helped him a few times. When he was running away from Moriarty, before his death, and he was leaving London, Mycroft was part of the process of that. But he never, I never got the impression from the stories that he would have like overseen his uh, brother's work or tried to keep tabs on his brother. Studying Scarlet happens pretty early on in the stories, and at that point, he wasn't on to Moriarty yet. So he probably wouldn't have known who he was, he was in the process of finding out but my that Moriarty was of course the head of all the crime that happened in in London most dangerous man in London but we find out at the same time that Sherlock does yes okay yeah in this story in the in the books actually Sherlock Holmes watches a pattern happening he sees this this emerging pattern of robberies that just seem a little too complicated for the people who pull them he deduces sort of that there's a Moriarty and then starts looking for him. What did you think of Martin Freeman's version of Dr. John Watson? I liked it. I did. I think of Johnson as Watson as action man. To me, he's, he's a very active guy and Sherlock has him around to be the muscle. And you don't really see that in a lot of the performances that you have. I think you can blame that on... Uh, Nigel Bruce. Nigel Bruce. <laughs> Absolutely. He made Watson into sort of a, a bumbling idiot. And, but the stories he's not. He's, 
He is an ex-army officer. Even though he was a doctor, he's also, you know, an active guy. And very heavily with the ladies. So he constantly was finding women in the stories. So how would you compare Sherlock to the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes? The Robert Downey Jr. version was an action movie. It was fun. It was slam, bang, shoot him, bang, bang, bang. Didn't follow the stories a whole lot. It was kind of a steampunk, Sherlock Holmes. This is actually, the, the BBC version here, this new version, is really, uh, follows the stories fairly closely, follows the characters fairly closely. I mean, aside from rewriting the plot to, and there may have been a reason because the whole portion of this that was um, left out had to do with the Mormon church. We want to drop that. <laughs> had it, uh, it was all about how this woman had been kidnapped and forced to marry um, a Mormon because her father, because they had been out on the desert uh, and they'd been found by these Mormons and taken in, but told they had to live as Mormons if they did. And the girl, little girl grew up, she fell in love with someone else and wanted to marry him. And uh, that was when she was kidnapped back and forced into this marriage. And she ultimately died from basically heartbreak. And it was the man that she was supposed to marry that went and killed all these people. Should Sherlock Holmes be updated to modern times or is he best set in Victorian times? I love Sherlock Holmes set in Victorian times. But I think there's a... The, the character, the idea of Sherlock Holmes can move into pretty much any time. I mean, it's been moved into the future a number of times. Uh, there was even a wonderful cartoon show a few years back. Set it in the future. Sherlock Holmes 2200 or something like that. It's, it's basically Sherlock Holmes uses deduction. And you can always use deduction. It, it's... He's, it's his mind. He's just the way his mind works that makes him an interesting character. So he can be an interesting character now or an interesting character in the Victorian period. I must admit, the stories are a very strong Victorian feeling. And it's fun to listen to him and it's fun to see him those produced. But, you know, a lot of characters get moved out of their time frame. We just recently had that Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio set in Los Angeles. Shakespeare lends itself a lot to being able to do mix-ups and things Mm -hmm. like that. And I think a lot of Sherlock Holmes... Now, there are some things that, obviously, you have to update. Uh, You had to bring in a lot of electronics into this. And, of course, that stuff wasn't around when Sherlock Holmes had it, but I'm sure he would have used it because he was a very bright guy. And if it was useful to him in doing what he wanted to do with it, he would have used it. He did use the telephone in one of his stories. They mentioned he was in cars in the later stories that were set in the teens. Yeah, the BBC's created two fake websites. One is the scienceofdeduction.com and Dr. John Watson. Oh, the blog? The blog, and they're both kind of funny, and they obviously tie into that week's episode. Well, that would be fun. I should actually check those out. I haven't seen those. That would be a good time, though. It makes good sense, although Sherlock Holmes wasn't big on, on... putting himself out there. So whether or not he would have had a website, 
it would depend on what they put on the website because he, in a couple of the stories, chides Watson for being a little too flowery in the stories he writes and, you know, making him look too good, essentially. He doesn't like the embellishment. I don't think he, he dislikes no. the fame. Uh, he, yeah, but although he kept himself pretty much in the background and, and he mostly let the police take credit for his work. In this particular story, the study in Scarlet, the one that this kind of takes after, he lets Lestrade take the credit for the uh, capture of this man. A study in Scarlet is the origin story, right? I mean, it's the first Sherlock Holmes story? The first one that came out? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It was in actually the um, Mrs. Beaton's Christmas Annual, It was a, which was a kind of a magazine they put out at Christmas time. And I believe 1887. And he was a one of. Arthur Conan Doyle was a doctor and not doing terribly well and had time on his hands. So he wrote this story. And I don't know what he got, two pence a word or something. But uh, it was not a story that he expected to do ever anymore again. And then he wrote remember how many of them it was before he, he decided to kill him kill Sherlock Holmes off because he got sick of writing the character only to be forced to write more people loved his his Sherlock Holmes stories he his other stories are not nearly as well known well the lost world lost world has been put, done quite a few times but other than that he wrote a number of novels white company sir nigel i mean i could go on and you don't think of them. I mean, they're not... Well, name, name me more than one Herman Melville story. Well, that's true. That's true. Right. And a lot of people can name a number of the Sherlock Holmes stories, though. Yes. They're fairly well known. What's your little fact you like to quote? There's more books about Sherlock Holmes than... Anything except the Bible. These are books about Sherlock Holmes. About, or, or pastiches, or whatever. Uh, Dorothy Sayers wrote a series of essays. There's a rumor, I don't know how, I don't know that it's true, but there is a rumor that Franklin Roosevelt was a member of the Baker Street Irregulars hmm. in the early days. So, you know, the character is, is popular and has been for many years. So, so you definitely would give this a thumbs up and would you recommend this to your fellow Sherlock Holmes fans? Oh yeah, I think they'll enjoy it. But they'll sit there going, that wasn't in the story. <laughs> But they will go, I think they'll all enjoy it. I certainly have. And I think most of them will, except the real purists. The real purists will have a problem with it. So let's talk about Sherlock. I liked it very much. I've not really watched or read much Sherlock in the past, so I, I wasn't coming at it from that point of view at all. I think it's really good, too. It's just so entertaining, so energetic. I mean, Cumberbatch is a force to be reckoned with. He's been, he was very subdued in his other parts, uh, particularly in Small Island. I mean, it was kind of a sporting role and stuff. I haven't seen that. I saw Stuart Alive backwards, but of course they had the that um, Tom Hardy playing mm -hmm. Stuart, which was the show air role right. times 12 million or so, and he was very good as, in that as too. But I, I really liked Benedict. I, I still watched him, even with Tom Hardy out there. Now, one of the newspapers claimed that Benedict Cumberbatch had been asked to do Doctor Who or or what he thought about it, and he said, oh, no, I wouldn't want to be on a lunchbox and all this sort mm -hmm. of stuff. And uh, another interview says that Matt Smith had auditioned for the part of John Watson. Right. And they just thought he was a little too 
on and gimmicky, but then Stephen Moffat remembered him when it was time for Doctor Who and Bob's your uncle. Yeah. But there's some similarities between the two characters. I mean, they're both the smartest guys in the room. Although, I think the Doctor Who gets to be slightly more funny. More comic relief-y kind of thing. I mean, Sherlock is kind of a grim guy. And a bit of a fatalist. And the Doctor seems to really enjoy life. And yes, right. It's it's true. The, Sherlock is, is a bit of a grump. A bit of a grump. <laughs> uh, Mark Gatiss, the writer on The Great Game, also appears in Sherlock as a recurring character. He is introduced to Dr. Watson in the audience as a bit of a shadowy character who wants to spy on Sherlock. Can we trust him? You don't seem very afraid. You don't seem very frightening. <laughs> Yes, the bravery of the soldier. Bravery is by far the kindest word for stupidity, don't you think? What is your connection to Sherlock Holmes? I don't have one. I barely know him. I met him yesterday. Mm, and since yesterday you've moved in with him and now you're solving crimes together. Might we expect a happy announcement by the end of the week? Who are you? An interested party. Interested in Sherlock, why? I'm guessing you're not friends. You've met him. How many friends do you imagine he has? I'm the closest thing to a friend that Sherlock Holmes is capable of having. And what's that? An enemy. An enemy? In his mind, certainly. If you were to ask him, he'd probably say his arch enemy. He does love to be dramatic. Well, thank God you're about all that. I hope I'm not distracting you. Not distracting me at all. Do you plan to continue your association with Sherlock Holmes? Uh, I could be wrong, but I think that's none of your business. It could be. It really couldn't. If you do move into, um... 221 B Baker Street, I'd be happy to pay you a meaningful sum of money on a regular basis to ease your way. Why? Because you're not a wealthy man. In exchange for what? Information. Nothing indiscreet. Nothing you'd feel uncomfortable with. Just tell me what he's up to. Why? I worry about him constantly. I thought Watson might develop a relationship with the mysterious Anthea, Mark Gittes' character's sidekick. But instead he does meet a girl in the second episode, and they have a date from hell. And then in the third episode, Holmes matches wits from a very unexpected source. But we don't want to do any spoilers, so. No. The fun is watching it. When Sherlock ran in August on the BBC, I was probably the most nitpicky critic of the series out there. Now, don't get me wrong. I think it's a show that is a great deal of fun to watch, brilliantly acted, and written by people who are at least as intelligent as the characters who appear on screen. It's something that just drives me crazy sometimes where somebody writes that this is the smartest character in the world and then he does dumb things and you scream at the TV. Star Trek, I'm looking at you. My biggest gripe, though, was setting Sherlock Holmes in 2010. I just couldn't let it go. So you don't have to talk me off the ledge here, Chrissy. Is updating Sherlock Holmes such a bad thing? It's set in a world where there's no books of Sherlock Holmes. He is Sherlock Holmes. Right. I was comparing it to another Stephen Moffat thing, Jekyll, where... Well, Jekyll, Jekyll's a book. Jekyll's a fairy tale. It's That never happened. No, there really was a Jekyll, and you're his descendant kind of thing. So they went about updating an old classic different ways, and I think I prefer Sherlock. 
and Sherlock's method, you know, and that there real there was never. He's not the the great 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 grandson of the original Sherlock or something like that. It's just, oh yeah, no, I think they need to start off, and I, I th- clearly the, what they want to do is make a show that is about the relationship between these two guys mm-hmm. and showing a character who you know lives for deduction and reasoning, and that you could stick him anywhere. The setting isn't as important as just seeing these two guys going. And as uh, Judy pointed out too, they, he's been in very different milieus over the years, including a futuristic cartoon series that ran in Britain and over here a couple of years ago. Yeah, Mark Gatiss even said that uh, what appealed to us about the idea of doing Sherlock in the present day is that the characters have become almost literally lost in the fog. And while I am second to no one in my enjoyment of that sort of Victoriana, we wanted to get back to the characters and why they became the most wonderful partnership in literature. Certainly nowadays we're getting much better Watsons I mean, Jude Law in the mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. program and then uh, Martin Freeman now, where they are the smart guys who would be logical to be, if you're the smartest man in the world, you're not going to have a dummy with you as mm-hmm. a sidekick. Right. So I guess I can uh, let it go. Okay, it's set in the present day now. And they well, do do it brilliantly. What if they had named the character something else but called it Sherlock because he's just like, you know, if there really was a Sherlock Holmes, he'd be like this guy, Fred. No, I think if you're going to make a, you got to call a spade a spade. Mm-hmm. And because I wanted to make a fan Doctor Who movie back in the 1980s, which I, I did do. And I thought about the fact that, well, you know, I could just change the name, file off the serial numbers and make it something else. But I think, well, but then I sort of avoid the whole fan base, which I want to watch this movie, mm-hmm. who are going to accuse me of stealing anyway. So if you're like, you're going to do it, go for broke. Call it Sherlock Holmes. Use the trappings of Sherlock Holmes. Have him living at 221B Baker Street. Have Mrs. Hudson as their housekeeper. Mm-hmm. Have Lestrade in there. You know, do all the things, you know, <laughs> Mycroft and Moriarty and everything else. You know, they've, they've changed very, you know, specific details and clues and bits of items from the stories, but the stories are still there. Rupert Graves. It's funny. My, JT and I have a nickname for him, which is Hubba Hubba. <laughs> Because we both think he's kind of cute. I didn't even recognize him with the gray hair. I was so embarrassed. He turns up in Single Father, but I will say no more. Oh, well, it's been a long time since he ran naked around uh, the woods in a room with a view. (laughs) (laughs) Playing Freddy with his bones. Yes. Yeah, the only real complaint about Sherlock from the British public was the outrage that there were only three (laughs) episodes made. Mm -hmm. Believe me, when you get to the end of the third episode, you will be screaming at your television set and wondering what happens next. And yes, more episodes are coming. They're saying autumn of next year now. Right. Well, I've read that what happens at the end of episode three does correspond to something that happened into a book. Yes. And then the next book... As Judy mentioned, Mm -hmm. Conan Doyle had gotten a little tired of Sherlock Holmes and said, I'm going to kill this guy off. And there's a famous duel at Reckenback Falls with Moriarty and they fall into the falls and that's the end of Sherlock Holmes. And then several years later, he he brought him back. And in fact, there's a really good TV movie that was about Conan Doyle and his problems and him trying to rationalize the character and the publisher trying to convince him to bring the character back. And it was very interesting. And kidnapping him and breaking his ankles. and Well, maybe not. they had this psychiatrist, I believe it was played by Tim McHenry. Played a very interesting sort of role, kind of talking to him and stuff like that. Because a lot of the fictionalizations of Conan Doyle want to make him into Sherlock Holmes. 
There, of course, was the that series with Ian Richardson a couple of years back where it took place where when Conan Doyle was in medical school. Mm-hmm. And they kind of had him doing Sherlock Holmesy kind of things as well. I mean, it is... As as Judy has said, there's many, many, many books about Sherlock Holmes, and a lot of them can't resist, you know, getting into Conan Doyle as well. Do a number of people write more Sherlock Holmes books now? Because I remember Michael Chabon wrote a book where he referred to the character as the old man who was retired, but everybody knew it was really Sherlock Holmes. Or the first pastiche came me. out yeah. in the 19th century because Judy mentions having that. Mm-hmm. They've been around forever, and of course now as the character goes into public domain, you can uh, do more and more. But yeah, <laughs> the, I mean, send the one... him to Miami. Yep. Well, well, one of the, the big bestsellers in the 70s that I remember, of course, was the Seven Percent Solution by unknown writer Nicholas Meyer, mm-hmm. and they turned into a movie. And of course, Nicholas Meyer has gone on to do all sorts of great things. It's certainly an exciting time for Stephen Moffat. He has his lifetime dream job of being the showrunner of Doctor Who, which is one of the most popular shows in yeah. the BBC. Extricated himself with a deal with Spielberg because of Doctor Who. Yes, right. He had doing, to do that. He did the, but he did write the first Tintin script for them, which is coming out, I guess, next mm-hmm. year. And he's co-created Sherlock. It's his time, and it's richly deserved. He's a brilliant writer, and ideas just seem to shoot out of his head and into our eyeballs out of the television screen. So when does he hit the Conan Doyle event horizon and say, Be gone, my creations! I'm sick of you now, and I'm killing you off! Well, he can't kill off Doctor Who, because as we're going to find out next week during the Serenade Adventures, the Doctor can safely last beyond 12 regenerations. There's a whole kerfuffle going around fandom about a a line that he says, although in the context that he says it, as I've heard, it's a throwaway line. and You can't believe everything the Doctor says. That's the thing that makes Moffat just laugh and laugh. He says... You know, a character tells you something, they don't necessarily have to be telling you the truth. Even the doctor lies. Obi-Wan Kenobi lies. Come on. Unless it's Christine O'Donnell, then you know she's telling the truth. (laughs) So, yeah, they'll definitely have their hands full with uh, making more Sherlock next year. And there's talk that Martin Freeman is going to be playing Bilbo Baggins in the (laughs) Hobbits movies, which start filming in February. Although, apparently, if he does it, it was contingent on, look, I'm going to be doing these Sherlock Holmes films first. You have to work around my schedule. So he's going to be a busy guy as well. Yeah. Now you've seen the hour long pilot, Mm -hmm. which is not shown, which the BBC said, okay, we like it, but we want it to be longer. Go back and do it again. And now they're stuck in this, not stuck, but they're, wanting to do these 90 minute formats which are really great because these yeah. are three feature length movie episodes they're great so Loved it. you got four and a half hours of sherlock holmes here it will go by in a flash you'll be like oh when's more coming out but you know each one if 90 minutes you got a time chance to tell a really good story and there'll be no commercials on pbs Woo-hoo. yeah well i work part-time for a pbs station and they're all pretty excited about it. We're they should to see be. if we can actually turn it into a pledge drive. Because pledge drive programs don't tend to be the most sparkling, exciting programs all the time. They're, often they're the ones that come with a handy-dandy DVD that can be a pledge premium. So I don't know if, they'll, if they would do it this quickly when it's also on Masterpiece. I have no idea well, the I, uh, machinations I'll, of PBS. You but know they've more been talking about it. They've been... Everybody, I set up my friend who works there full time with DVDs, and they've made all the rounds. So everybody's wants to make it kind of extra special for our local PBS station. So we'll see what happens. 
I think Sherlock is going to be huge, and hopefully mm-hmm. everyone, everyone in America watches it. Well, listen to this podcast, but even if you don't, that's fine. Actually, if you do watch Sherlock, or, and if you've seen the British version, or you watch them once a week here in America, why don't you send us your reviews of the episodes? Yeah. We could talk about each episode after it's over. We're really trying to avoid spoilers here before it goes out, but after they show, we are happy to uh, discuss those. So send us your feedback. And that's, of course, at feedback at BritishTVPodcast.com. Yeah, so you, if you could imagine Matt Smith and Martin... Freeman's role or that sort of thing. <laughs> no, I like the casting the way they did it. I think it worked out really well. It would well. have been too much, too quirkiness with with Benedict at each other. It would have been too similar, but yeah. Next week, the League of Gentlemen. Hey, yeah. before he was becoming the literary adapter du jour, Mark Gatiss was part of a troupe of funny men known as the League of Gentlemen. And we'll take a look at their success, what all three members have been up to lately, and talk a little bit about Psychoville as well because there's a special coming up. And that's in show 56 of the British TV podcast. So I'll have to watch some of that then. I've got Psychoville all. I've watched the first 10 minutes a few times. Oh, you lent it to me. I thought you'd seen it. No, no. Oh. We'll do. Check it out. But you're definitely no League of Gentlemen, so we'll be doing And of course, uh, the other parts those guys have been in, you know, Benidorm and all Mm -hmm. the various other shows that I see these guys. So that'll be kind of cool. We'd like you to go to our website, which is www.britishtvpodcast.com, and there you can find links to headlines, show notes, what's on TV this week, and an archive of our previous 54 shows. Download them all. And I say you can send us feedback at feedback at britishtvpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. And you can subscribe to our Twitter feed, as several of you have done out there. Brit TV Podcast is the Twitter ID address, and I try to put a few posts up every day of what I'm watching or what I'm looking forward to that night. It's hard to do it in 140 characters. Yep. Like, oh. and Chrissy just emailed me from her work. She is frustrated with <laughs> the new computer software from hell. There you go. You can start your own Twitter yourself. Sherlock is coming on there. And for those of you who see Sherlock already, or you see it in three weeks and you need more, I would recommend Luther. I think it's a very intelligent series, very well acted. And I think it would appeal to the same people who enjoy Sherlock. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.